Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Long Distance Listening, where dream work makes the spleens work. (laughs) You're all in for a treat. We have an excellent episode today. It will involve less of me joking and more of some really good conversations that we're going to have. We're going to be talking to Zach Bowen, the lead singer of the band Citizens. We're really excited for that interview. He's going to have some awesome stuff to say. We're going to just give him a bunch of questions about the American church, about culture, about religion, about this album. (laughs) (laughs) About this album in general. And the album is called Fear Rachel. All right, let's begin. So, Zach, welcome. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for joining the podcast and being willing to talk to us. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. So, Zach, uh, we have a new segment that we are adding, and it's on the just base level right now. We're open to improvements. It's called How Blank Are You? And basically for you, it would be How Zach Bolin Are You? And this is for listeners just to see how relatable you are. Honestly, get a good first impression of you. Like maybe these listeners like have some trepidation entering the podcast. This is a chance for them to be like, wow, I don't like Zach at all. I want to stop listening or like, oh, he seems pretty chill. Like, let's keep listening. I might not like myself anymore (laughs) after this. Sounds good. Well, you can stop talking on the podcast if, if you feel the need to. So again, we're just going to do uh, rapid fire questions and okay. Andrew and I will alternate like every five questions or so. Got it. All right. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to throw a curveball in there. I don't do caffeine. Okay. And so I don't actually drink either. So let's let's focus on the branding. Uh, Pepsi. Okay. The Beatles or Queen? Don't tell me you don't listen to music. Uh, <laughs> I will not say that. Uh, Beatles. Tea or coffee, and maybe decaf coffee. <laughs> decaf yeah. tea. Yeah, tea. 100% um, tea. Big party or small gathering? Big party. In the studio or playing a show? Uh, show. All right. Twin Peaks or Stranger Things? Stranger Things. Donuts or muffins? Oh, 100% donuts. Yeah. I, I feel like if you said muffins, we might end the interview there. <laughs> <laughs> quit, quit the Skype call. <laughs> like it's I, 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 I never go for a muffin willingly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sweet or salty? Sweet. Cats or dogs? Dogs. All right. Live action Disney remakes or no live action Disney remakes? No live action. All right. Baseball parks or national parks? Oh, baseball parks for sure. Day or night? Uh, night. Spotify or Apple Music? Spotify. CNN or Fox News? Yo, we're just playing. Summer or winter? <laughs> uh, summer. Uh, streaming or going to the movies? Go to the movies. All right. Reading or writing? Reading. Phone call or text? 
phone call. Now we should have actually given you this this before. Nate lives in Boston and I live in okay. Philly. And so we're Whoa, gonna make you okay. decide Boston or Philly. Oh well I I'm I hate to disappoint, but I'm gonna have to go with Philly. <laughs> Philly. <laughs> you didn't disappoint me, just just Nate. All right. I'm sorry, Nate. That's okay. Forgive you. This is where uh questions get even more fun, just the last few. Join the Triumph or a mirror dimly? A mirror dimly. Citizens or King's Kaleidoscope? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna I'm gonna just stay true. I'm gonna say citizens. There you go. Nice. Very nice. Both Andrew and I picked King's Kaleidoscope <laughs> strictly despite you. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that was coming, so I yeah. Had to, there had you to go. For a wild card. Wow. Apparently, we are already predictable. No, no. You know, I just, it's good. We're starting off out in the right foot. Yeah, yeah. So so we played along where we, we picked for ourselves. I love it. And I think I was like 0 for 5 to start. That was bad. <laughs> so, okay, it's a, a uh, tie. Yeah, cool. No way. So we're triplets, basically. There we go. Wow. All right. I'm in. I mean... It's more just, it's not that we all share the same answers. It's that there was three where you picked me and not Andrew, three you picked Andrew and not me, and then all the rest we basically picked the same. Wow. Okay. Well, that I guess that balances us out into one human. Thanks so much for playing, Zach, being our uh, yeah, guinea pig. Anytime. Based off of my well-known and widely admired ability to tell the future, it looks like everyone who was listening has stayed so you answered well. Good job. Okay. Congrats. You didn't scare Great. anybody off. So Ooh, we can continue. We can continue. So on to the more serious stuff. Yeah. Uh, Citizens, formerly known as Citizens and Saints, has been mm-hmm. at it for a while. Most bands yep. don't last this long. Four albums deep. What has brought you to today and what is currently pushing you all to tomorrow? Great question. You know, when we started, we all met at the same church. And so the original intent was just to write or really just arrange hymns. That's kind of what we were doing. I would say up until the full length record came out, I don't think any of us necessarily saw us that that we'd be a band much more than just outside of what we were already doing just at our church. Um, We certainly enjoyed the fact that people were getting into the songs we were writing and encouraged by it all over the world. But I for sure did not see it becoming what it did. So, I mean, I would say like what's brought us to this point is really been, I mean, honestly, just the wild process of like one, I mean, people have gone with us. I was telling a friend yesterday, like most people, when they listen to a band's first record, you know, they're, they're like, all right, I'm signing up for this sound or this thing forever. Whereas I feel like anyone that's like signed on with us from the first record, we've taken them on a roller coaster ride. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that or not. Sorry. I don't know. But I, I would say, honestly, this sounds a bit, uh, it, well, I mean, I, I think it sounds right, but it also sounds a little bit different probably from what you'd hear most bands say. But I think what's brought us to this point is just friendship. Mm-hmm. We have a really unique bond in the band and i i think it's what makes writing music and playing shows and everything that we do be what it is and mean something and i 
I seriously think that as what will keep citizens going is that same friendship, because I don't know that any of us feel as called to this or, or like we, we love doing this, but I don't think any one of us want to just do like the Lone Ranger sort of thing as as it pertains to citizens. And so it's definitely uh, it's definitely like a collective thing, you know, where all of us are together in it. And really, we've been able to travel all kinds of places and funny stories and fun shows and terrible shows and <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, like we have songs that we hate. We have songs that we love. Like, I feel like it's just been a really cool bond that is really special. And, you know, we we're going into our eighth year or ninth year. I can't remember what it is. I think, honestly, apart from those friendships, I mean, we were just sitting around with one of the guys the other night after our church fell apart and stuff. It was really sad. And we were just saying how don't know if we would have made it through all that without each other. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of unique things in common that aren't just playing in the band. And I think that's what makes it so special. So that answer sets up a great transition. So Citizens consists of you, Zach, who is Zach Bolin, Spencer mm-hmm. Abbott, Nathan Furtado, Adam Scottula, and Brian Eichelberger. And mm-hmm. I think our friend describes it, in my opinion, best when he said being in a band is like being in a five-way polygamous dating relationship. And not that he's had that experience. He does have experience in a band. But um, outside of the awkward connotations of that simile, can you describe how you have personally developed to become a better bandmate from when you started to this point? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a great uh, way of putting that. I would say the biggest thing that has been true for us is that we, okay, so when you're in any kind of friendship building that, Trust is everything and takes time. I think there's like surface level trust, like just knowing you guys. It's like, all right, I trust you guys, you know, on the basic on the basis of like just getting to know you. Right. And you, yeah. maybe the same is true for me. I don't know. But we're not going to know. Like we have to go through stuff together to really test that and see how far we're willing to go with that trust. And I think that's been a huge part of this is like learning one to trust each other, but to respecting each other. So like we've had plenty of arguments and issues and things like that. But we've always gone through it in a really respectful way, which I think has been a really unique. I mean, I I don't know. You guys are East Coasters. So like I'm an East Coaster. And what's funny is so like for me growing up, any kind of argument or conflict that was ever going on, it was just sort of like, all right, we're going to get really emotional and and heated and heated and talk about this and we're going to go hang out later and it's going to be totally fine whereas if you try that tactic with people from the northwest they will shut down (laughs) and so it's such an interesting thing so i've had to learn even just like regionally like you see the way that people sort of deal because conflict is just part of life right and so I think what's been kind of cool is we've almost it's kind of like people that are from Arizona don't really have an accent. You know, it's just sort of like they just sound like, you know, I was joking with the guy the other day. It just sounds like, a you know, like a weatherman or something like that. That could be in anywhere. You know, it's just like the most like basic accent ever. I feel like that's kind of what happens when you bring together people from the East Coast and from California and from the West Coast and Midwest. And you bring us all together <laughs> We just sort of developed this, like cheesy as it sounds, sort of this bland ability to just, you know, kind of put aside all of our own like pre-existing tendencies and to try and find a way forward that's like really helpful and hopefully like loves each other and cares for each other through that process. So I think it's just it's honestly like that. I mean, one of the things that is that I think has been really true, too, is we laugh together a lot. Like we just tell stories, we joke with each other, we make fun of each other. We just 
I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of willingness there. And the other, on the flip side too, even on writing, there's a lot of trust there because there are times when I will just like go there. Like there's songs on a new record where I was just like, Hey, I hope you guys know I'm being really sarcastic in this song. Are you guys okay with this? And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. You know? So there's, there's trust in in that way. But then sometimes, you know, you'll get the, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And you're like, what? (laughs) You want to go? But then you have to trust them and why, like their opinion. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so it's been a cool, I mean, I think that's why like Brian and I, we've written together a ton over the years, not just with citizens, but also in other things like Chad and King's Kaleidoscope. He and I write together a lot. In particular, I, I help with the lyrics a lot on their records. And uh, I think it's all just part of the friendship and just bond that's there. So your guys' new album, Fear, mm-hmm. is your fourth studio album after your self-titled album, Join the Triumph, and Amir Dimly. And each album has been extremely different instrumentally. Yeah. What are some of oh. the bands that have influenced Citizens' work through the years? Oh, man. First off, the reason I think Citizens started off the way that it did on that first record, and that, the first record's not even a good example, the first EP, is we were five musicians coming together with vastly different influences. <laughs> and so it was that was that was like a true labor, like hours spending trying to find come up with like a sound that was like felt like one that everyone was excited about. So I would say, though, everything from like for myself, there's a band, the Cardigans, I've always been really influenced by, but also like the 90s, like I love Third Eye Blind and those kinds of bands. But even just like all over the map, I personally probably less sound and more feel has always been my go to. And so like lyrics, what they make me feel like guitar solos that aren't meandering, but just have like purpose to them. So any kind of music like that and that kind of crosses genres has been true for me i'd say that's true for other guys but then there's other guys in the band who like had like insane you know i don't know like metal backgrounds and some i don't know grindcore punk or i don't know what it is but uh our our bass player he's from cali um so there's just like influences i think that are kind of hitting us from a lot of in a lot of ways but i would say that for the most part three of us brian and spencer we were probably more students of, of like that sort of 90s kind of vibe that I think is probably why if you really sit down and listen to our music, it definitely has a little bit of like a 90s throwback to it. And I'm not even trying that. It's just what's going on. So so despite your guys' versatility instrumentally, a lot of the songs have ended up becoming songs churches use for worship or even those that maybe aren't being used still kind of structurally or lyrically feel appropriate in that setting, right? And that's at least in my opinion. And fear doesn't kind of fit that same category despite being confessional and worshipful all the same. So the first question is, do you agree with that assessment? And if so, was that at all intentional while you were writing fear for it? Or did it kind of just happen naturally? I definitely agree with that assessment. And it was definitely intentional. You know, there was a point when everything was going down with politically just things you were just seeing, like incredible divides between like within the church, racially, just things that have been sitting there for years. You know, like I grew up in a pretty racist town and I was very eager to get out of it as soon as I could. And I did. I I just like drove as fast as I could away from from it. And I think a lot of that fortune, I was fortunate enough to have 
like to be at a school where there was a little bit more diversity. But for a lot of people that I grew up around, they didn't have that. And so like seeing a lot of like the racial tension sort of bubble up to the surface, a lot of people were like shocked by that. I'm like, no, this has been going on. Like you're just seeing people's true colors. And so I, I just kind of felt that corporate singing songs just weren't really coming to me in regards to this topic. And I really felt like, like it was one that I wanted to address outside of just necessarily needing to be like utilitarian, but I wanted to make a record that produced some conversation around something that I, I really feel that people aren't being very honest with themselves about. I think that we are way more gripped by fear than we probably would like to admit. And it informs the way that we make decisions, you know? Um, and so I, I just getting really exhausted by it. And I felt like, you know, what? I only have influence for so much of my life in this sort of way. And we could make another church song record, which we will. But it felt like, you know what, right now, this is like really a heavy burden on me. And I, I feel like we need to we need to talk about it. And so that's sort of where this is this is meant to be more of like a thoughtful not heavy. I think people see that word fear and might think heavy. And that's good. I hope that they feel that way, because if that's what gets them there, then that's I think that's a good thing. So. So obviously on fear, fear is the main theme. You do a great job clearly marketing the record, as you said. But <laughs> describing fear, one of the main motifs that I've noticed is sight. And yep. I mean, that's so obvious. I mean, from song title names, even out of sight, illusion, looking up, what led you to use so much imagery based around sight in correlation to fear? That's a great question. And I hadn't even you're you're hitting on something that I almost forgot about. I think one of the biggest things I was realized we put out a song. Um, I don't know. What was it? Two years ago now, a year and a half ago called Strength and Beauty. Mm. And that whole song was about listening with our hearts not just like our, our ears are open but actually like like going deeper to like listen to ourselves and hear the voice of god or hear the voices of others and actually like make thoughtful change and this one i think was a, a similar approach was like all right now let's see with our eyes open you know because i can look at an issue and i think that there's like a way that our eyes even have have ears <laughs> and are willing to sort of what are they willing to take in and in which way are we going to, you know, okay, a great example like you brought up is, you know, in contrast, you have a song like Out of Sight, which is way more, it is a satire, but it also is a reflection of, I think, how people live. We hurt each other, and then we think time heals all wounds. And so we think, well, the more time that I can put between what I did to this and, you know, years of just like not talking about it, they'll forget about it, we'll move on, and things will be fine. That's not been true in my life. I haven't seen it true in anyone's life, right? But I'm talking big offenses here, you know, little things are, I think are worth talking about. But, you know, and so I do think that there's like on that on that sense, it's like uh, a willful blindness. So the eyes aren't seeing. But then you go to a song like looking up and it's like I actually want to have eyes to see beyond what beyond just like optimism, you know, because I am a, naturally a pessimist. So my temptation is to sort of just like, see, you know, I, I tend to like see things in a way to where I immediately look at the problem and I start thinking about, is there actually a solution? And I think for me, it was like two things. It was one, I want to be a more optimistic in particular in the way that I see others. But two, I think it's looking beyond just like the abilities that we have within ourselves to change and seeing that we need some outward help in that process. And in which case was God and God's ability to 
give us the eyes to see us as we are, to see others in a way, and in the same way, because we see ourselves in the way we are, there's a bit more grace in our eyes as we look at others. There's a bit more mercy in our eyes as we look at others. There's a bit more of a willingness to see that, you know, whatever we have going on in us, there's no sense in comparing because that's the other aspect of fear that happens. I think it's like a common thing I hear in the church is like, well, everyone out in the world, you know, or, or just sort of like this, just very like dividing walls. And I'm just like, man, that's not really helpful when you think about that because the church is in the world. Like it actually exists in the world. It doesn't in, exist on another planet and we pipe in or something, you know, like, so I think that that's the thing. It's like if the walls being inside those walls are what make you feel a little more protected. Then it's like, well, again, there's fear playing into this, you know? So I, for me, it was, I wanted first to like think it through myself. You brought up illusion. That was basically about going through therapy. And so being willing to see that my fear of grief and of facing like just grieving things from my childhood wasn't helping me at all. And so it was like going through that process helped me to see that there was something more to life than to just suppress and avoid. And so I th think that there's a lot of ways that this crosses over into many people's lives. We need each other. Sometimes friends that come along and say, hey, this is actually what it is. And I know you don't see it like that right now, but I, I really believe that you will at some point. And bigger than that, I think it's God's ability to like move through each of us and in us to show us show us a bit of truth and a way towards some light. So all of your artwork has been very interesting, yet all very different and unique. What inspired the cover art for Fear? Great question. So the artist, her name's Catalina, goes by Catathant. I sent her the record and I just said, hey, take a listen to this. Let me know if, what kind of ideas come together because one of the things that I, I, I really wanted to do for this record was I didn't want to work with a graphic designer um, per se. Most graphic designers, this is more of a side note, I just feel like a lot of graphic designers these days are not true artists. I think that they get into it more from a capitalistic standpoint because there's a way to make money. It's kind of like the same people that take, you know, there's like, I have a friend who does wedding photography and can do any anything else, but genuinely loves it and sees like the beauty in it. And it's probably why he's one of the most like sought after wedding photographers. I mean, there's people flying him all over the world to take photos for their wedding, right? Versus like someone who's like, oh, I want to start a new business. I want to make money. I'm just going to take photos for a wedding. And it's not to say that those things are wrong. I'm just saying that I think that it's artistry. And I don't think that we should like, I think we should be careful to, to treat it as, as something that's like, that's going to matter to other people. That it's not just a means to an end, but it's actually like the art that we make speaks to people. And so I, I gave it to Catalina and I was just like, hey, listen to this. She's an amazing painter. And she calls me and she's like, we wound up talking on the phone for two hours about how like her own struggles over the years with like, she's been very vocal with this publicly. So I'm not talking about something that wouldn't be known. You can just follow her on Twitter and Instagram. She'll talk about it, but just her own battles through like anxiety, intense anxiety, and just from like, from growing up and then also things throughout life that have brought that on. And she was like, she's, she's like telling me her story. And she's, she just says, all I'm seeing is red. I'm just seeing red. I really feel like that needs to be the color. So she started painting something, which, and she texted me a photo of what is the cover. And I was like, oh man, this is awesome. And we had this intent. I had this other idea that I had kind of sent her on with the red. 
and she was like working on it and doing ideas. And she probably sent me 10 other ideas. And I was just like, you know what? I can't get past that red image. Like to me, that is everything that fear is because one, it was like, came from like a really emotional and honest place for, for her. And I just immediately felt connected to it. And so that, that image is actually just, it's just taken from an iPhone. It's not like a professional photo thing. It's like her painting, but then we, she took it from an iPhone. She, what happened is she painted over it. So there was no way to go back and like get a professional photograph of it. So, uh, so we just used iPhone photo for it. And I love that. And it just feels again, like artistry. It's like, same thing in songwriting. There's lots of people who go out and they make, they go into a studio, they've got thousands of dollars, they make an incredibly sounding record, but the songs are complete trash. You know, like they don't, they're not, it's not good songwriting. And I'm just like, man, we could get all the technology in the world, but ultimately it's like the eye, you know, it's the heart that the artist is putting into to like capture that thing. And when they do, there's something really special about that. And I feel like that's what Catalina did. Speaking of the recording process, you guys produced this record yourself, correct? We did, yeah. I actually produced it. Wow. It sounds awesome. Very good work. Well, thank you. With that, you're just, like, extremely talented. That's crazy. Have you guys produced any of your music in the past? Yeah, we've produced it all. Brian has produced... He's the keys player. He produced uh, everything that we've done. So this was the first thing that we've done where I, I produced it. And that was intentional because the concept was such... It was so personal that I really felt like it made a lot of sense for me to to be the one to personal in the sense that there was just a lot of musical components, too, that I really felt like I wanted to convey with the lyric. And so they put a lot of trust in me and were willing to let me run with it. And I really value that in those guys. And they've been tremendous supporters of that process because because I, I think I think I kind of needed needed to work through a lot of this stuff. And songwriting in particular has been really helpful for me in doing that. So fear was backed uh, by the fans on Kickstarter and obviously like as a band, like, you know, just as well as anybody else, there's incredible lows, incredible highs. I mean, I feel like that moment must've just been an incredible high. Would you like to describe like what it was like seeing your fans response to the Kickstarter? Yeah. Uh, it was 1300 people throughout the world that were telling us that they loved <laughs> loved what we did and i and without getting each story i just you just kind of you get a sense that like people are backing this record not because of or backing us not because of the packages they're going to get or even because of a record that's coming i think they just did it because in a lot of ways because they really believe in who we are and also because the stories that we've told it was almost like it felt like almost like a reward for our honesty <laughs> Not that we've ever been seeking that, but just to know that our honesty has spoken into the lives of lots of people. And while my story isn't exactly like someone else's, there is there's apparently been some relatability. And going through that, it was really humbling because, to be honest, like we didn't have the money to put the record. We like, All right, I guess we could just figure something out, figure out what to do. And, you know, a buddy of mine that was helping me launch the Kickstarter, he's he's done a bunch of them. He plays in some other bands and and he does one every two years for his band and they raise a ton of money. So he's like, yeah, I think we'll I think we'll get your goal, which was twenty thousand dollars. He's like, I think we'll be able to get your goal over 30 days. And then we reached the goal in eight hours. You're just like, <laughs> what? This is insane. So I, I feel I don't feel like that's normal, you know, and, mm. and I feel really humbled by that. 
And I think it's because we really value the art too. It's like when people find a deep connection to that, it's more to them than just like a band. It's like we have a connection to them that we might have for the rest of their lives where it's a song that they'll carry with them. Right. And the same way, like we get to receive, we get to receive too. Like we're not just giving, like we actually get to receive too. And like the knowing that there's purpose to what we're doing and it's not just like trying to make people feel good, but it's actually like speaking to people's souls. That's really humbling. So seeing the Kickstarter become what it was and realizing that we were stepping into territory, we had no idea that we would ever be stepping into. That was really real. And it just gave me a deeper appreciation for our fans and a greater desire to want to make stuff, continue to make stuff that stays faithful to the, to the whole reason why people, I think, connected with us from the start. And because you guys exceeded the Kickstarter total by a ton, there were a lot of extra goals that were reached through the process. Uh, we just saw the U.S. tour announcement, which is super exciting. Show starting in September. Is there anything else from the Kickstarter that you guys are working on? Yeah, we actually, one of the, the goals was to do an EP, five songs, and they're sort of more in the style of fear. And we release those to the Kickstarter people and we'll start releasing songs slowly, which would be cool. And also a church song record was another part of the stretch goals in addition to the tour, U.S. tour. And so we we've been working on that and it's really exciting. And we have an idea for this that feels really cool on the church song thing that it feels like a bit different from probably what most people are doing out there. And I don't mean that stylistically. Lot, there's lots of musical styles out there, but I think just like the intent and purpose behind it, pretty unique. And we've got some unique partners on it so far, in addition to all the Kickstarter backers. So pretty excited about that. That's sick. So lastly, while we have you, it's a great chance to briefly talk about your solo stuff. You go by <laughs> Zach Bolum, which is yeah. your full name. <laughs> um, so you released your debut 1001 in 2016, and it's a fantastic solo record. Is there any plans for, sorry, you've literally explained like a million stuff you're doing right now. And it feels kind of insensitive to ask you if you're also working on Zach Bolum <laughs> stuff. So I, I'm still going to ask though, is, you should. At, at least in the future, is Zach Boland still going to be a thing? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I think the reason why is because that's, that's been a really, even that, I mean, I didn't, I approached it completely different from citizens, but I always had this sense that there were even like love songs and like a song like 95. That's just like uh youth rebellion, whatever you want to call it, you know, and we still got it in us. And um, I don't know, you know, like there's just so many amazing ways that I, that record, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people have told me I'll just meet randomly or something. Every show there's someone comes up to me and they're like, we danced to one of your songs at, at our wedding. And I'm like, what? Um, so I, for Real quick, I, I want to interrupt. My friend who performed at our wedding, uh, we wanted to do Before the Throne of God. And I was like, yeah. listen to Citizen's version of it. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> so he like used your guys' arrangement for it because I think it's such a beautiful arrangement. But anyways, oh, go back man. to Zach. Let's go back to I Zach. I love Bowman. it. I love it. That's awesome, man. So, yes, the plan is to make more music. Citizens will be keeping me busy over the next year or so. But I am writing a lot of solo stuff and... I feel like I'm just now getting into a good a good idea of where where I want to take that one. So um, I hope that it's not. I mean, that song took that record took me 12 years of work and 
writing and stuff like that. So I have no intent of taking 12 years. Again. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Zach. We're going to take a quick 10 second break to hydrate, do some vocal exercises with Zach, maybe stretch the throat a little bit. So we don't want to wear down your precious pipes or ours. So um, don't leave. We're going to be back with a track by track conversation with Zach as we talk through each of the songs from Citizen's latest album, Fear. So welcome back. We have Zach from the band Citizens talking about their album Fear. And we're just going to go through each song one at a time. Andrew and I are partially just going to take the opportunity to share our thoughts and also ask some questions to Zach. And he'll give some fantastic answers. So let's go. So we're going to show a 15 second clip of each song. We're not going to play the whole song. Go stream the album. It's on all streaming platforms. And yes, so just be aware that that's coming. So for our first track, we have the title track, Fear. Andrew, uh, what are your thoughts on Fear? So I really like how this starts off the album. I think it's a really cool start to the album. It kind of pulls you right in. It also kind of, for listeners of Citizens for a long time, it it all of a sudden you kind of notice right away how different this is going to sound than, than any previous work that Citizens has done. I think the synth work on this is maybe just some of my favorite favorite synth work on the entire album. It's really well done on this. So Zach with kind of this song and just how different it is from other work from citizens, was it intentional that you kind of start with the track that sounds so different than any of your previous work because of this album being so different? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we just knew was that, all right, we're giving people a different sound again and, uh, (laughs) or a slightly different take on it. So we thought, let's start with the song that's going to like probably be the more the most different of of songs that people would have heard. And also to kind of set up the concept of the record too, um, just to sort of like lead in with it. I I really didn't want that to be confusing. And I also wanted to start it personally, because I do think that that's that's part of it. Right. If we're going to talk about the bigger issues of fear that like are affecting us just like communally, then I need to start from a place of personally addressing my own stuff. And so that's kind of where that came from. And even this song was the first, well, actually I demoed a couple other songs that are on the record, which we can talk about later, but this was probably like the third or fourth song. And when I sent this song to the guys, it was sort of like, Whoa, okay. Uh, this is really different. And everyone was really stoked on it. So musically the synth stuff was, I was just like screwing around with some keyboard stuff and was like, I love this and wasn't sure where to take it. And then I had this idea. I've been watching Creed, the Rocky, mm. latest, like the not Creed 2, but the the first one I did. And I was just like blown away by it. I was just I was taken back with the nostalgia of like the regal sounds and brass and everything. And so I really wanted to, to do that with this song as well. And sort of just start the record off with give it some 
some weight. So right off the bat, the first line, I'm a prisoner of my own invention, is actually a truth I've been recognizing currently a lot in my life. And that's always a good sign when the first line of the album just smacks you in the face. But also, I've been thinking it's interesting you chose the imagery of flight for this song. And my question is, what inspired that imagery? And also, is there significance in using an image of something that is humanly impossible in light of the theme of the song and the album being fear? Yep. I would say the biggest. So I was thinking about uh, a bird in a cage and I had this image of like being on this hillside where there's this huge cliff drop off and I'm inside of this cage and I've just been like, I'm a bird, so (laughs) I got to fly, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the whole, you know, I've got these wings and I'm, I'm not the bird that just like, I'm not a chicken. I'm talking about like, whatever, like some hawk or something that's going to spread my wings and go. And I'm in this cage. But the thing about this cage is that nobody's put me in there. I've actually put myself in there. I've convinced myself that is somehow, uh, even though everyone else is doing and, and, and living out their functionality, I've convinced myself that that's not, that, that, that somehow is not living, that I'm actually more alive being contained in this cage. And so I'm a prisoner to an idea that I've created. And it's not even that I've created legitimate walls or, a legitimate safeguard. It's all an illusion because the gate to the cage, I could push open at any point. And so you get to the end of each course. I'm saying, I want to fly away with you. It's like, I want to do that. I just don't know how to, I don't know how to do it because I've created these boundaries that I I can't step outside of. And so you get to the end of the song. And what's really interesting about that is the whole vamp at the end was just I try to emotionally and physically feel as much as I can when I'm writing lyrics. And so in that one, because I had this image, I remember just like, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I'll like make my body really tight or I'll just do something that is going to somehow provoke this idea or concept. And I remember singing, uh, this doesn't happen often, but they weren't necessarily intentional. I didn't like sit down and write them out. I just sang them because it was what I was feeling in the moment as I was really connecting to this whole idea of wanting to fly and wanting to be free. And so you get to the end of the song. I'm kicking the gate, the, the door through. Wings are spreading out. I'm going to run towards the cliff. And no matter what happens, we're gone. And really the imagery in this was with me and and, and Jesus and just like wanting to be not wanting to be bound up by like seeing that God was the one that could give me the freedom to believe again that spreading my wings was living and not being inside this cage. Awesome. Next, we have everything for nothing. Andrew, what are your thoughts? So I love how just relatable the lyrics on this entire album are. But in this song, just talking about kind of striving and doing, but in vain. I think it's really cool that that throughout the entire album, you can just really relate to 
to each different lyric in, in its own sense. Also, from a musical standpoint, I really love how forward in the mix the piano is. I feel like that's one of the things that strikes me right away when I listen to the song is just how forward in the mix that is. And also, the use of brass and the saxophone in it is is awesome. You guys use some pretty rangy dynamics on this album from some really high highs to really low lows, and you go seamlessly kind of from one to the next. So my question for you is, are dynamics like that something that you intentionally work on, or is that just something that feels right when you're kind of writing these songs? No, I mean, I would say especially on this record, it was very intentional because what I wanted to do was kind of mess with people a little bit. And like a song like Everything for Nothing is basically like, I mean, it's pretty heavy lyrically when you really think about it. But the music is not. The music is like super up and that piano part is got a really fun vibe to it. And I kind of wanted to like mess with people a little bit. And the reason why was not because I just want to like play games, but the point of it was I want to show that there's like actually something really cathartic about admitting that all these things that I'm doing are amounting to nothing. And when it's absence of like purpose or calling, when it's full of like personal endeavor, selfishness, pride, like all of those things, I think bring us to the places where we eventually look back and say, Oh my gosh, like what was I even doing? Like why, why did I even do any of that? I'm here. I am standing here. My hands are empty. The thing that I thought I was going after I would get, I didn't get it. Did I just waste my life? Did I just waste these past two years of my life or whatever, these past two minutes or two months, like whatever it is. And so that was, that was a big part of that. So I wanted to like, my hope was the more people listen to that song, they'd hear it not so much as like, Oh my gosh, downer lyrics with like hearing the contrast between downer lyrics and really upbeat music and start to see that, that I think the two are married together more than we realize. And it's like part of even just, Going through the process of admitting those things is, a, I think it's a really needed part of, of life that we don't typically embrace. And it's just being okay to say I was wrong or I, I'm, I'm kind of doing this for myself. And once we get to that place of admitting, I think that's when we can really start taking some deep breaths and we feel like we've come out of like that cloud that's over us starts to dissipate a little bit. That's a really interesting perspective. I think sometimes... I've heard a million times like, oh, like sometimes we just want to mix sad lyrics with happy music, but I've never heard that perspective. So I was very refreshing. So lyrically, this song makes one wonder if life was better in the cage. And I feel like with freedom, the consequences are heightened. It's like you can't really fall out of a cage, but you can fall out of the sky. <laughs> and so for yeah. you... And so for you, is there at all a correlation between fear and freedom, almost like there's farther to fall when you have been saved and set free? I almost think about it in an opposite way, I think, is that when we believe that we're free, we're actually stepping in. We are stepping into elements and situations that are completely insane. When we're facing death or, or fate, let's just say, like, I remember I have this lasting image. Some of my really close friends, they lost their daughter. She was seven. And uh, this is a few years back. And I remember being at the memorial service and they're like praising God and like worshiping. And I'm just like, whoa, this is really humbling because I'm like really pissed like mm. that this little girl's gone and 
it really hit home because I have a daughter that's her age and they were born around about the same time. And I was just really struck by that. And I think that that to me is stepping out onto that. There's so much risk with that. But then at the same, or there's so much risk if you're thinking about it from the standpoint of like, oh my gosh, are you like fooling yourself? Are you emotionally like building walls so that you don't have to face the inevitable? Are you suppressing grief? And I just think that, man, when we're actually living like completely free in Christ, like we actually, it's insane. It doesn't make sense. And so, and we actually, that's the thing. It's like, I think we go up into the sky and sometimes we'll get, you know, <laughs> I think the only risk we have in that is when we spread our wings is starting to forget that like the reason that the thing that makes our wings spread all, all together is like God is the one that gave us the ability to be free and do that. And so as soon as we start thinking, oh, OK, I got this. This freedom is something I attained. This freedom is something I did this to get to this place. Then I think the risk comes in of like, well, yep, you're crashing straight for the sea now, you know. Yeah. But I think the beauty of all that is like even in our crashing, even in our failures, even our pride, whatever that is, that God is still there to like remind us that, hey, you remember the sky that you're flying in? Remember when you felt so alive and free and I was right there with you? You can get there again, right? You know, but it's going to be some, it's going to be a process though, right? It's going to be this reconstruction of remembering who it is that you are, not in like this heavy burden, but remembering that we need, we're needy humans. And so I think that that's, was kind of a big thought for me is, and like connecting those two songs together was that, yes, there's, there's risk if we think about it from like the human standpoint. But I think if we think about it as like being empowered by God, there's a bit of invincibility when it comes to our souls, where the body and the flesh feel less important. Not that they don't matter, but they just we look at things in a through the lens of hope rather than just present what's going to get get me through today awesome so next we have out of sight here it is Okay, Andrew, out of sight. What are your thoughts? So this is such a cool song. I think just, I don't know, the instrumentals on the song are just super catchy. I think the mix of the guitars, piano, and bass groove get the song stuck in my head for literally days like it's happened before. (laughs) The lyrics on this album, they don't, like you never say God on this album, but as you read the lyrics, it becomes very obvious that Christianity or a walk of of faith or relationship with Jesus is at the core of all of these lyrics. Was it intentional to write kind of those like spiritual lyrics, but write from a broader perspective? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, biggest thing that I thought about was that if I'm just expecting people I, didn't, I mean, because I don't know. I didn't write these songs just for Christians. I wrote these songs for anybody, you know? And I think that's where people go wrong sometimes is to think that our language always... I think we get caught up in philosophical or just like Christianese, as you might call it, like certain language that we think, oh, this is what qualifies me for being in right standing with other fellow believers. But 
All it takes is a little bit of a stroll through the Gospels, and you see that Jesus is even calling that one out, you know? And in particular with the Pharisees, I mean, he does it right before, and on the Sermon on the Mount, before the Lord's Prayer, you know, don't pray like the leaders who are trying to raise their voices to be heard. You know, it's like, but pray like this, you know? I think that that's a huge part of, like, I don't know, I, I just felt like we need to use common language and let's have conversations rather than just trying to, constantly showcase the differences but let's actually look for ways that we look for the things that we have in common well what's one thing we all have in common we're all scared as hell of a lot of different things and we get to places where we we forget how to live and and we and it controls us so i think that that's that's a big that was a big part of that so like a song like out of sight what's been really funny about that song is it's our biggest song from that record and uh we have a lot of people that love it like in germany and stuff which has been awesome (laughs) awesome and I, I've been pretty excited about that because lyrically, that's probably the darkest song I've ever written. As far as like, I mean, there is zero ounce of hope in that song at all. And that's the whole point is like, that's what we do. We just we just live like, I think about this all the time with my kids. Like, if I don't practice, if I don't have a daily practice of just like owning my junk and admitting when I do mess up, they're going to get down the road years later and they're going to be like, dad you heard us and you never talked to us about it. And I'm, and that's really what out of sight it's about. It's just like, forget the blood is forget that the blood of Jesus is what justifies us. It's time that justifies us. So Zach, as you mentioned, the song is far darker than the bright instrumental and vocal melodies often convey. And the, the music very similar to everything for nothing display like, Hey, everything's cool. Everything's fine. And yet there's a part of the song where it's around like the bridge, the instrumental and that first chorus after the bridge where things get dark. And I kind of noticed from like a lyrical standpoint, the song transitions from, hey, I'm just going to like keep ignoring all the things that I should be facing right now. And in that moment of the bridge, it's like, hey, like the darkness is present and this person has like a choice to face it or not. And then the music perks back up and he you're just singing out of sight, out of mind. And it's just like back to same old ignorance is bliss. And I was just wondering, there seemed to be like a really tight correlation between the lyrics and the music in the song. hundred percent. I mean. Even that bridge is meant to sort of be like an internal conversation that we have with ourselves. Like, oh man, oh yeah, okay, yeah. We let's just stay silent. Let's just mm. not talk about it. And all right, we we can fight this. We can get past it. Let's just just got to push through a little bit longer, and we're going to make it. You know. And uh, this song wasn't actually going to be a citizen's. I'd intended on releasing it, hanging on to it, and just releasing it in some other way. I didn't know way what way. And and then I showed it to the guys and they were like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> you know, we've never had a citizen song like this. And they were, cause I proposed it as like, what if we release this as a citizen song? And cause I knew the risks that were there, just being the fact that it's such a different kind of lyric and it's, it's approaching things in a way that we haven't before. And gosh, I mean, there was a time when we, we play after Amir dimly, I was having people come up to me sometimes and saying that, you know, that record wasn't very hopeful, which I was like, man, that's not true. <laughs> you just got to listen to the record because I think it's very hopeful. Whereas like that, 
I mean, but if someone came up to me and said, oh, out of sight, that's that's not a hopeful song at all. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. It's not. <laughs> I mean, you know, that would be correct. So and that was intentional. I wanted to make people feel a little uncomfortable because you really do start like moving along to it. And you're like, ah, the guitar riff. I love this. This is awesome. And then after a while, you're kind of like, wait a, wait a second. What, is, what are they? What is he saying? He'd rather be alone. And he's always wait. He lives alone by himself and he's okay with that and any time that someone says that there's something wrong with him they're the ones that have the problem not him <laughs> like oh my gosh and so i mean hopefully people are smart enough to figure out that was me being facetious but even still i mean i think that you felt like a next step in the process of like this concept for the record next we have illusion So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Illusion? So, I actually personally think this is the best vocal performance on the entire album. Zach, you do some some great vocals through the album, but I just feel like with the lyrics and how vulnerable they are and your dynamic vocals on this song, that's what stands out to me each time. And I, I'm kind of wondering, do you usually write melody and then write lyrics to fit those cadences? Or do you have lyrics and kind of create the right melody and cadences based off of the lyrics that you have? Great question. Uh, I am all over the place. I would say more often than not, I'm thinking about a lyrical idea. So this is a great example. I want to say that even on this song in particular, I had an idea of like illusion, like some sort of like just this whole idea of illusion because I was going through therapy and as I explained earlier, like there was a lot of different things going on. So like on this song, it was nothing like it sounds now, <laughs> but I had this feeling and this sense as I was working on that original demo. And this happens a lot where like the thought illusion, I had illusions written down and I was just like, I, I probably wrote that. I could probably trace it back to coming out of a counseling session or something like that. And I remember having this thought going through my mind. And then from there, I kind of make the melody subservient to the lyric. A lot of people are, will write more in the sense of here's the melody and we got to find a lyric to fit within that. I definitely have those cases because sometimes you just have a strong melody that you need to make it work. But I would say at the front end of a song, usually it's like I'm kind of first off digging for that lyric that I want. And then I want to get that big, big idea, like pull that together. And then from there, it's probably like, all right, what melodies do I like? And now let's try and make the lyrics fit into that. Um, and that was, I think, the case for this song, especially just because it was a pretty big idea. It was also a big thing for me because I was coming to grips with a pattern of living that I'd been in for my whole life, in particular around like suppressing grief. And so it seems a bit disingenuine for me to have approached a topic like that and just be like, all right, here's the melody. And now I got to try and fit every single lyric into that. Like, really. It was just more like, this is what I need to say, and then let's find melodies that'll work to do that. So one thing uh, with the song is you kind of keep it that minimalistic 
beat with the instrumental and push it vocally for like most of the song. And the first time I was listening to it, I was like, okay, when's this going to break out? When's this going to break out? Mm. And I, and then I got to a point where I was like, I don't think it's going to break out. And I was like, fine with it. Cause I thought like the like minimalistic approach was so vulnerable and interesting. And you did like a lot of like really cool production stuff that made it like fine on its own. And then all of a sudden, like you came in and I was like, Oh, okay. But I mean, I really do think that that is what you want where obviously the giant crescendo coming in is powerful and incredible, but both halves of the song or both parts of the song instrumentally and vocally and lyrically can like stand on their own, which I think is good. So growing up in the church, there's a lot of ideologies about truths. I would label as like quick fixes for heartbreak and grief. You kind of mentioned that earlier. And sometimes there's this culture in the church where people can grieve for a moment, but are not allowed to continue to be sad or hurt for any extended period of time. And those who do continue to hurt need to simply have more faith and must rely more upon the Lord for strength and peace. And when you do continue to have pain and sadness, that means you don't have enough Jesus. And then that pain then becomes their fault, which is now their sin. And this is where those feelings of neglect I think can begin because you're like I'm not supposed to feel this it's wrong to feel this and so you can like neglect that and I'm sure there's many people who have grown up in the church who have been scarred by moments like these and even people now that are still harboring that pain and hurt inside of them so I think it's extremely important and powerful when you say life without pain is illusion compared to the other way around. How important was it for you to have songs on the album where you don't just throw in a bunch of quick fixes? It was, I think this song in particular was essential. I mean, I remember as a kid, I would be sad about my dad dying and stuff like that, or like other family stuff that was going on. And I, I would say that overall, I was either, I don't know that I always felt listened to or believed in because I think that like what I really needed was people to just like listen to me and I just didn't really get that a whole lot. So I eventually decided I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. And what is really interesting about that is I developed a weird obsession in the process that is songwriting (laughs) (laughs) because I realized that at a young age, that while I couldn't always find the people to talk with about these things or even find the words to fully articulate it, because I'm very much a verbal processor, it takes me a while to get there. Songwriting was the way, and it's always been this way for me, to process through like really heavy things. And so even like a song like Illusion, and I would say like for most of the songs, when I'm writing them initially, I'm, I'm rarely thinking about other people. I'm most often thinking about just like my own experience and like doing it out of out of necessity and out of mm-hmm. like I'm writing because I have to like this idea is so big inside me. And the only way I'm going to really be able to make sense of it is through writing this song. And so I think that like, you know, a song like Illusion is every bit as much, you know, it's not only about me, but it's it's all also like for me. <laughs> and then it's like really crazy to think that it's also for others, too, you know. And I, I've just seen, like, I don't know that I've ever really thought about, all right, how far is too far? And being honest, you know, 
I, I haven't really lived by those rules in writing, but I think a lot of people do. And I just think that like the more we're known, the more helpful it is to other people. And so that's why I share the songs. I don't just share them because I just want people to just like focus on me and like think about, oh man, what's he going through? But actually like, I hope that I write in such a way that people can listen to the song and, and feel the freedom when other people aren't really, are just giving them platitudes or just telling them religious jargon. Like, I hope that people can listen to the song and feel like they have a friend, not just in me, but just like that there's like a lot of beauty in grief, but we don't really treat it like that in culture. One of the things that was really helpful for me was reading a book about how this Mayan culture processes grief, like to just like, and I think that's part of it too, is like realizing that we've created standards and ways of, I mean, just, you just think about Jesus in this time, like weeping. I mean, at least the two instances I can think of are when with Lazarus and then over Jerusalem. And it's like, that would have, I mean, culturally, that's just like, we see that as like, oh man, that must just have been such a huge sign of weakness or something like that. But I actually think that, you know, when you really get down to it, it's like most cultures have usually not been that afraid to show their emotion, right or wrong. But I think we've created one in the American culture uh, of the church that says that feeling bad is sin. And that just sucks because I'm definitely not a Christian if that's the case. <laughs> and I think that that's true for most people. Like, I think we do struggle a lot with things and God wants us to be honest with that. And the very fact that Jesus is on the cross saying a pretty insanely brutal thing from Psalm 22, you know, why have you forsaken me? It's like there was one person that walked the earth that knew more than anybody that God did not forsake them. It was Jesus. And he's praying that I'm just like, Woo, that's heavy. <laughs> and so I think, I think we've got full license in scripture through Christ's example, through like the, the saints that have from the early church and on forward even back to like generations in our recent memory people we knew grandparents whoever i think we've had plenty of examples in our lives that say we've got to be honest with who we are and what we're feeling doesn't mean that our feelings always dictate or, or represent truth but they sometimes are a means for getting to a place of truth yeah. and if we don't do the steps we run the risk of depriving ourselves from what i would say like truly living so next we have Am I Brave? Andrew, what are your thoughts? So this is some of my favorite guitar work on the album. I just think it's really layered and really intricate and, and even like experimental, I feel like. I love how each track has this thread of sounding like Citizens still. Like as much as the whole album is is different, it still sounds like it fits in, in the vein of kind of Citizens. And it fits that, but each song still has its own feel and characteristic that helps it not sound repetitive. Is it hard for you guys as a band to keep kind of pushing yourself musically, lyrically, just in all those different areas and trying to do something unique while still trying to kind of keep the umbrella of like, is this Citizens? Does it work for us? I feel like we really pushed it a lot on this one, mainly because I think what as we were making the record, I just felt like, you know what? 
let's let the continuity be like the sounds and like the instrumentalists on the record. And let's not be afraid to just like go there and try some different things that maybe we, we might say, Oh, this isn't like citizens, but let's do it. Let's make it sound citizens. So am I brave is a great example of that where musically, you know, the, even the original demo, what I originally demoed of that song, there was no guitars on it. <laughs> and then I was like, we need some guitars on this song. Because I was thinking, oh, man, that'd be kind of cool. Have a whole song, no guitars. Uh, and then we started to just, Spence and I got together. And that song's kind of a fun one. We we have this, like, Leslie cab that's converted into a speak like an actual, like, speaker cab. So we're running through different, like, like looping, like, stereo uh, sounds, you know, on his guitar and stuff with that one. So we had a lot of fun with that, kind of trying to create some trippy stuff. But whether it translates fully or not, I don't know. Sometimes things go to mastering and they get mixed and they kind of get lost. But regardless, though, yeah, I mean, this one was a bit different. But again, I felt like lyrically there was something to say there that I felt was really important and just thought, I think people might might be able to go there with us. And it's so interesting, too. I think because we have such an eclectic sort of thing going on with this record, it's it's been funny and cool to see the different songs that really stand out to people. And M.I. Brave has been one that I've seen for people. I can't help but do a little shimmy and a little bob when I'm in the car when this comes on. But uh, I was on a mission trip with my students a year ago. And at this camp we were serving at, they had like a word of the day, which I thought was cool. And the word of the day was bravery. Mm. And their self-made definition was something like bravery is facing a difficult challenge without fear or something like that. And one of my students turns to me like whispering because the leader was talking and goes, that's a terrible definition. <laughs> I was like, what? And Whoa. he goes, yeah. and he goes, bravery isn't not being afraid. It's moving forward and continuing to persist in obedience to God when you're terrified. And I was just oh. like, I was just like, yeah, of course it is. As if I was like as wise yeah. and aware as he was. <laughs> A 12-year-old or whatever he was. People often, I think, label bravery as fearlessness. And then it's like, well, what happens when I'm afraid? And you end up ignoring what scares you, so you're no longer afraid. But it's this, like, false sense of bravery and false sense of peace. And the world and the church, as you uh, pointed out, throw all these definitions of what it means to be this or that. And so how have you grown to develop definitions of words like bravery to help you understand reality when there's so many voices telling you what it actually is in their minds? I think like your student, you know, like being willing when I hear words like that and recognizing in myself like, oh, gosh, I don't feel exactly the way that they're defining that word, you know. And bravery was, you know, bra being brave was one of those because I started seeing this trend in like worship music and different things like that. That was sort of like, oh, almost as if like you make me forget that I was ever afraid. And I don't think that's what God's trying to do. I don't think God's trying to make us forget that we were afraid. I think mm -hmm. God's just trying to show us that, that there's a power greater than the thing that's making us afraid that we can, that we've been given full access to in order to conquer the thing that we're afraid of. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's instant. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll ever necessarily experience the full 
effects of it being conquered in our lifetime. I think God wants us to remember the things that we're afraid of because it reminds us continuously, one, of the greater source, of the greater power in Christ to expel it, but at the same time, reminding us of how needy we are because we're going to go back to it. And I think if we're not willing to embrace that fact, we just, like you said, Nate, it's like we we convince ourselves of something that is not real and not true. So words like that, what other words? Uh, like even like words like doubt in the church, you know, that was a big one on Amir Dimly. Loved or beloved, I realized, you know, gosh, we use the word love a lot, but we don't, and family, you know, it's sort of like, well, you're my kid, so I love you. And it's like, well, I actually wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. <laughs> yes. Because, like, I don't think that love is something that's just, like, because you're my kid, I love you. It's like, no, there's something, like, much deeper going on there. Like, and I think we see that in particular in the way that God, and the reason I say that is because, so, I, like, for instance, I love my kids. But, you know, and, and I hope, hope that over the years, like, I loved them from the first day I saw them. And I've always felt that way about them. And I think, though, at the same time, too, when I, I stop loving them, though, when I make it all about them doing everything right and having zero margin for, like, error. And I think that's a big, huge part of just, like, the culture that we live in, like, We've taken these words and we sort of have stripped them of their meaning and of their value. And love in particular was one of those. Even in, in my brave, like um, singing, if I sing, will it earn your devotion? Like, all right, the more I sing, the more earnest I am, the more I can like squint my eyes and bend my knees or whatever. Like, will, I, will you love me more now because I'm showing you how much I love you? It's like, that's not the point. Like Jesus, when Jesus is being baptized, in all four Gospels, the Father's presence says, you know, this is my my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus did any ministry, he was marked as a Son of God. And that's a huge, huge thing that I think we got to remember is, like, if love is real, then it's not contingent upon what we do. It's just it exists because of a deep connection and fondness and desire for that person, regardless of who they are, regardless of who they become. And that love is staying committed to them. And so really, I feel like this song was just like continuing on with like defining those things and, and those ways, in particular with bravery and how we create scenarios that I just don't think are always realistic for, for what we can achieve within the church. So next song we have, The Weight's Not Easy. So this is one of my favorite songs lyrically. I just feel like, again, the whole album is just very honest, but I think it's a great reminder that we're on this earth to show love, and the verse kind of speaks about how our world is so divided, and I love the chorus is yearning to just kind of move on past just this world and, and just those issues, but then kind of realization that it's not that time yet, and there's still more to accomplish while on the earth I also really love how you guys are okay to kind of take your time with, like, 
an intentional lower dynamic in this song. I just think that that's really cool that you don't rush past that or anything like that. You take the time to help the lyrics really fit and and kind of make their mark before uh, moving on past that. Um, also, just quick note, the, the tremolo on the guitar at the end is just it's super cool. Oh, I really like that. Love it. It's a I great, love it. great it's end. Great. But all of these songs are so layered and have so many different sounds layered in them. I mean, from the instruments that are used to the effects added, all of that. When it comes to kind of writing songs now musically with so many layered parts, what do you guys tend to start with? Kind of what's the core of the songs? How does it all work together? Yeah, I would say we are definitely a slow build kind of band. Like, it's pretty rare that we'll start off demoing anything with like a bunch of parts and a bunch of ideas we typically are sort of like let's get the foundation and then let's build on that from there and that was definitely the case with that song even to the point where we were kind of hesitant as to whether or not we'd actually keep the drums in just because we just we weren't trying to make it like an epic song it was more meant to be like a very straightforward like conversation about how divided we are and and how we've again we were talking about nate about like phrases and how we redefine things i mean that this song is pretty much it's a song of all questions basically about that idea it's like you know we've we've sort of redefined things in such a way that now love or unity it's something else than what i think its original intent was meant to be and so musically we're just trying to like mimic that in some way and so it's slow layers it's a slow process you know we've rarely been a band that's like all right we're going big right from the top and let's pull it back. Sometimes we have those songs, but usually it's more of like Brian will sit over there on keys and not really join in for a while. Or, you know, Spence will kind of like noodle around with a little guitar idea or something. And, you know, it, it's just it just kind of is interesting the way that, that things t- typically grow. Yeah, I'd say Take Heart is an example of like maybe doing a little bit of the opposite. I know you have that single guitar with the intro, but I mean, it comes in like pretty hard which is very different than how you usually go which is why i feel like that song uniquely like smacks me in the face because i'm like oh i wasn't expecting you guys to like come in so strong right away yeah i mean that's that one we were just like we gotta just hit them heavy (laughs) (laughs) and so we were just like recording like seven guitars like how do we just make this sound (laughs) okay we'll get back we'll get back to take heart so i'm gonna read the first verse quickly for the listeners have we had enough telling everybody they're wrong Does it build us up, tearing down the ones we could love? And so there's beautiful juxtaposition here, especially in the last two lines. And this idea of tearing others down to build oneself up is obviously the exact opposite of what Jesus did on the cross, where he tore himself down so that we could be built up. And yet far too often in Christianity or in the church, I see people tearing people down left and right. What reasons do you believe Christians use to like justify this type of behavior? Whoa, good question. Uh, I think that there is self-preservation is oftentimes what people use as like justification for mob mentality rhetoric. So a good example of that would be in regards to the current immigration issue at the border where you have kids in cages and dying and crazy stuff like that. There's a lot of people who have no problem with that, but then they have a, a huge problem with 
a baby being aborted, which I think should be, I think we should have a problem with personally. That's where I stand. I think abortion is wrong, but I, I guess my point is just simply that I think there's a lot of contradictions in there. I think because the person that's in a cage, the baby that's in a cage represents people that we're afraid of, or we think that are going to somehow take from us. I think there's this process of self-preservation that comes in where we develop ideas and conform to certain principles that are completely inhumane. And I think that's a great example of that. And that and that song in particular is is getting at that in a lot of ways. Is like we're slowly becoming more inhumane, we're treating people like they're animals, uh, and not seeing them as the people that they are. And are we willing to see that we have a greater capacity for love? And I'm also just going to read the second verse quickly. Have we given up living like there's nothing to lose? Will we ever stop fighting like there's something to prove? And I want to focus on the last two lines again. Do you think we often lack trust in God's sovereignty and ability to reveal himself to people? 100%. Best way I could describe it is like being in a marriage and one or the other has something wrong and you want to point it out and you do and they're not changing or they're not listening to you in the moment. And it's, I think it's just a lack of trust in God. Like you, it's because we want to be the Holy spirit for them. Mm. And I think that just like life is, it's so much more of a process. Like I think about it even in regards to the Psalms. I mean, we don't know this for sure, but a lot of times we read the Psalms and I think we like to think of them as like, this is one sitting written out, but I actually, I don't mean, I don't know. I think about myself as a writer and a poet and songwriter. It's like, man, so rare. Do I just sit down and write out creatively like that it's such a process you know and so i think that that's a i think that's a big thing it's like seeing that stuff takes time and i think in one another we're unwilling to somehow to sometimes wait for god to be the one to act like sitting in the silence being patient is just not i think a way that we've been culturally wired and that's i think a big big thing we could grow in next we have looking up Andrew, like your life since you married Amy, it's looking up. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the song? So I, I love the lyrics. I just want to read some lyrics. I don't really feel like I need to add to them because I feel like they're just well stated, but they just like really stuck out to me. It's just really, really poetic and really good. So the lyrics I'm going to read, it just says, feel the wind press on my back, been fighting most of my life against it. I hear the voice inside my head saying, you're no good, but I'm over it. Time to look on up. I'm looking up. I think just that kind of just being real with yourself, kind of the voices in your head and just accepting what you've heard or what you've believed, but then kind of just moving moving past it. There's something to, I think, this like... And you were describing earlier, like when when you view things more pessimistic and sometimes it'd be like, you know, I just want to be more optimistic. I want to stop hearing these same kind of voices in my head saying you're no good. I think I think there's just something to like 
a positive mindset there that's just i don't know it's just really encouraging i do love the song musically i mean all the songs i'm just gonna keep saying that but but i think what's interesting with the song is it's the most like it kind of just reminds me of like u2 or coldplay it's the most like kind of like pop rock type just really positive sounding song. I really like kind of the the soft intro that swells into just a really fun song. I think it's really great coming out of the last track, how you kind of transition the listener into this song out of kind of a softer track into this louder, louder song as well. The long intro to me, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, it kind of sounds like it could be like an intro track, something that would start the album. But you guys were intentional with starting on a lower dynamic with fear, which I know we already talked a little bit about why you chose that song, but I just want to get kind of more of just from a musical standpoint. Were you trying to be intentional with starting on a lower dynamic on this album instead of, I feel like a lot of other bands would just start fun and loud, but I don't think that would have fit this album and the theme of fear. I wanted to kind of see what were the thoughts behind that? Uh, Was it kind of trying to fit the thematic progression of the lyrics as well like kind of why did you decide to start on a lower dynamic with fear if that makes sense yeah great question i mean that's funny you asked that question because our drummer adam was like the sole person in the band that was like we need to start the record with looking up (laughs) and uh he lost it was it was a democratic a democratic decision but i mean yeah i think we just felt like Fear is a heavy topic, and when we're when we're kind of really going through like the introspective process of like seeing it in us, and seeing that the antidote to fear is fear, fear of the Lord. That's really kind of the arc that the record is taking you on. It's like this slow climb out of the valley to like the top of the mountain. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I love how it works. I just kind of wanted to see if there was any conversations, which it sounds yeah. like there was at least once. Oh, oh, oh there, there indeed, there indeed was. Yeah. So this is not a cry for help. Looking up, this is a catchy indie pop rock song for help. So with all of the sight imagery throughout the album, when you say "I'm looking up," there is obviously tremendous significance. It's a transition from you talked about this earlier in the general interview. It's a transition from "I see pain and I look away" to see pain look to you as in God. And yet I still think what I said about quick fixes remains true here. It's not like you're saying like, Oh, I look up to God and the pain disappeared. You're just instead transitioning from neglect to surrender in the midst of pain, which I think is very important. And there's also a transition from independence, I would say to dependence in this song. And there's a lot of trying to handle things on one's own throughout the whole album and a lot of failing at that, which is obviously very relatable. And on this song, you just pray simply, help me out. And I noticed that you admit a need for both relief and belief before saying help me out with the first and second verses. And asking God for relief makes sense to most people, but asking God for belief can seem like a paradox at times. Do you believe that asking God for belief embodies one's complete state of dependence when it comes to this song? Yeah, man, I I do. I mean, I think the reason I'm even able to say that is because I see the ways that I've struggled throughout life to really trust God and seeing the ways that God has given me the actual ability to believe. Mm. Because I think a lot of it's hindsight. 
you know, because I look back and I see all the ways that God's been with me. And that in itself is a good reminder oftentimes of like, why are you forgetting right now? Like, just look back and see all the ways that see the ways that God has like been faithful. Right. And so I think that I do think that God helps us through that process of even believing. And that that's that's really cool that you picked up on that in the song, because with especially with this one, I think it is possible to sort of hear it as like a feel good kind of song, which I think that's kind of the point. But also, like, you know, it's it's also meant to take us, I think, on a journey of like acknowledging that we're not able to get to this place by just like doing things that make us feel better about ourselves. Mm. But we actually need we, we actually get there by remembering both our standing with God and that we're loved and cherished. And because of that, we can ask God to help us get to where God wants us to be and stop being self-sabotagers. Next, we have past. Andrew, what are your thoughts on past? So the song is definitely much more of kind of a rock song than any others on the album. I really appreciate how it kind of showcases the drums and bass a lot more in the song. I also wanted to ask, is there kind of a, a choir in the background of, of some sort? Yes. We had a, everyone sing falsetto. I got a bunch of people together and all the guys and the ladies uh, were, were singing. They were singing in their normal pitch but the uh the guys they couldn't hit it so we just did falsetto (laughs) i love it it sounds really cool it's a cool like i want to say it's subtle but it's actually pretty up front i feel like comparatively but it's it's a really cool add-on i i appreciate that i mean it's track eight and you keep adding different elements like different textural elements i think that's really cool that you didn't just like oh after the first few tracks you know what to expect from a from a production standpoint i think that's really awesome one thing that also strikes me with the song, I would say this is probably one of the most shocking rhythmic changes that you guys have on the album from the verses to the chorus. That like I was kind of bopping my head in the in the verse and then it got to the chorus and the rhythm completely changed there. Was that something that was kind of hard to work those parts together? Did that just feel natural to kind of do musically? How did you guys come about doing that? Um, I would say that it was a little unnatural for the whole band to get down with, but I think the more we played it, the more we got there just because it is like, there were some people in the band that kind of wanted it to be more like the verse groove, the whole song. Other people really liked the chorus groove, but had a hard time, like really understanding what it was that we were trying to accomplish. So it just honestly, like in a lot of these times when you, when you try things that where you're sort of like blending together concepts and ideas, you wind up in situations where you got to just keep trying things until it feels right. It really is a process of feel and intuition, which you, you kind of hone in a bit more, the more you do this stuff. So it was definitely intentional. And I, I always kind of like the idea of like bringing some, like something new to the equation as, as people listen. So, so the next song transitions from a hopeless past to a hopeful future. Yeah. And I personally get so hyped thinking of heaven, but I think it's often a selfish view for me. 
like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't wait for heaven instead of holy crap, like we all die and God's going to make all things new, which will be sick. But what happens on earth right now really matters. And I often use heaven as like a security blanket rather than an inspiration to give everything mm-hmm. I have to God and others each and every day. And so despite gaining the freedom and joy like you displayed in the song how do you personally combat the temptation to become complacent and like that security of your future you know i think that losing my dad at a young age forced me to become a bit more to see life in a slightly different way even going through therapy the therapist pointed out to me like how you know i i even get this way over like conflict like i don't like conflict to linger i want to like find the way forward because I, and you know, he kind of pointed out, he's like, you probably are like that because you lost your dad at a young age and you see like how like quickly life just vanishes before our eyes. Mm. And so I think that when I think of hope, I think of it both as like a release and and reprieve from all the bad stuff we experience and that there's something there. But I also, I think the hope for me that I have is also this deep sense of comfort and license, if you will, that God doesn't want us to just live life like there's no purpose or no joy or no beauty in the current place we find ourselves, but that it's sort of like reminding us that like hope is not now, it's later. And it sustains us probably more than ever during hard stuff, which, which is really cool. But also seeing too that like, I think God wants us to like fully embrace the beauty of life too. And seeing that like, Oh man, there's another even deeper layer to hope is that there's even greater beauty beyond this beauty that I'm experiencing right now. There's even greater joy uh, than this, you know? And so that's been a big, big part. I think of the way that I've often viewed hope as less of like a, I don't know what you'd call it. Like a, all right, you went through something bad. Here's a pat on your back and go on your way. It'll, it'll all get better. But more as like, it, it feels really real to me. So next, we have our second to last track, which is called I Will Always. Andrew, I Will Always, what are your thoughts? So I don't actually have any questions with this track. Just a couple observations, things that I really like. I really like the lyrics, how it's just a reminder that when all else fades, God is still there. And I feel like the music seems to reflect that kind of reassurance. It's just very peaceful and smooth. The vocal cadence fits into that same idea of just it's very smooth and helps carry the song a lot. And I really liked, again, just some subtle brass in there. I, I just feel like it's really good. So just a couple notes, no no real question from this song. So there's like a lyrical transition from past to I will always in my mind. One of the last lines in past is you're all that I have, which is really the crux of I will always. And I noticed there's a lot of songs on the album that are adjacent to it each other that really deal with similar themes or maybe it's like a different perspective of that same thing so like fear and everything the thing for instance or even like out out of sight and illusion i would say too clearly you guys were extremely intentional on song placement 
But speaking about I Will Always individually, I think the song does a great job displaying how God in the midst of our pain remains and will not abandon us. And everyone will let you down at some point. Like not everybody is licensed to stay. And we've only been talking for an hour, Zach, and I'm sure Andrew's already let you down like multiple times. And so (laughs) like you understand this. But no matter how many times other, yeah, there you go. Um, (laughs) No matter how many times other people let us down or we do something to let God or others down, again, God remains. But believing this takes faith. So with God remaining, are there ever times that you struggle to believe this? And if so, singing, you'll always have God. Is there comfort now? Like knowing that even in the midst of those doubts, God is still there and he remains. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a song I could have written without hindsight and also without the perspective Mm -hmm. of others. There's a couple different parts of this song that I'm writing about other people and something that they went through personally. And I wrote it as sort of like, really, I initially wrote it for a couple friends and I guess to show like some camaraderie and solidarity in the fact that like with hindsight, I look back and it's just like, oh, yeah, I I have felt betrayed and divorced, if you will, from people and abused. And it's like, whoa, God, even if I don't believe it right now that you're with me, I do have this I have this deep sense that I will always have you kind of getting back to your question in regards to past there, Nate, is like the hope of seeing beyond this life and knowing that there is like perpetual presence with God now, but it it will even feel more real than it does now someday in the future. And I, that was a big part of it for me. Even as you get into the bridge of that song, it uses a concept called regenesis, which was just an idea that came to mind. I I don't even know if it's been used. I wouldn't be shocked if it has, but I, I haven't found like a spot that it's been used yet. But that whole idea was just like, it was never meant to be this way. We were never supposed to have all this like separation. And so I think the biggest part of it all is just like seeing that we're we're loved and God's present with us. And we don't have to like dress that up as something other than what it is, which I think is already a pretty magnificent thing. Finally, last track, we have Take Heart. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Take Heart? So I think the long outro is just the perfect way to end this album. It doesn't start how I actually expected when I first got to the track. I expected that it would start quietly, that it'd be a quiet end to the album because it was a quiet start to the album. But I love, I mean, you already alluded to this. It comes in so big and it's so strong. And and it it took me a second because I was like, oh, I didn't like, is this the last track? I thought this was the last track because I just wasn't expecting that. And I love that. I think throughout the album, there's so many things musically that you guys do that can kind of it's not what I'm expecting. But then after I listen to it, it's like what I needed. It's it's the whole 
Batman thing. It's like not the not the song that I I uh, need, but the song that I deserve, or whatever that line is. But uh, but it's great. I really think the song is in four four, but it has a really cool kind of drum groove that feels more unique than that. And I really like how you add vocal layering throughout the song. I think it's definitely. To me, it's at its best with the echo of I've overcome or or the different versions of that phrase that you use in the song. The lyrics come from the first person perspective of Jesus. And I appreciate that you use scripture to kind of back up those words, not just trying to throw throw words in Jesus's mouth and, and sing them. What kind of inspires you to write in the same way lyrically from that perspective? I think I just felt like we needed a song that really encompassed that there was a way out of it all that it's not just like, here's I'm just going to drop this whole idea of fear on you and just be like, all right, now go figure it out. But actually seeing that it's a daunting task, it's a big deal, but we're not, and we don't have to be enslaved to it. So take heart. Jesus has made a way that Jesus is, has overcome the world and the world just happens to be the place that we live where we actually experience fear the kind of fear that imprisons us. And so I, I just felt like, man, it'd be really cool to have like a song now that's like, all right, I'm sending you out into the world and there's going to be wolves and there's going to be all these things around that's going to try and attack you and bring you down and tell you that you're stupid or insane or you believe in like a completely archaic idea and concept, you know, like all these different things, like take heart, I'm with you. It's way easier to just like conform and become patterned by our fear than it is to become conformed to the way of Christ and be patterned after a logic that completely defies the way that I think most people tend to think about life, in particular love and the way that Jesus lays down his life for us. I think that that's a, a cool idea for a lot of people, but I don't think practically we, we really envision ourselves doing it for others. <laughs> and so I think the idea of take heart was like meant to be, oh yeah, we're not alone. We actually have like a friend in this to fight and face these fears. So Zach, I'm sure you've been in this experience many times where you're like deep into an album, maybe like two tracks to go, three tracks to go, or maybe like right now you're on the last track and you're like, Oh my goodness, this band might release an album where I really, really, really like every song. So I was at that point in your album, knowing that this was the last track. And honestly, like, all you're really hoping for is that moment as one that's just like good enough. Like, just don't mess it up. Just, just be like good <laughs> enough. So I won't have to skip any of the tracks, like whatever. And yet you released with take heart, my favorite song on the album, made me my favorite song of the year. It's up there for sure. One of my favorite songs from you guys, easy. And I could just ramble about it for a while. As you can tell, huge rambler here. So I'll go over a brief thing and then I'll start rambling and stop myself. So I think there is a call to both the fighter and the one who is complacent in the song, which I think is actually really cool for the fighter to like surrender and like not be so on the offensive and for the complacent one to like rise up and like let go of that for both, I guess for both to let go of their fear, I guess would be like a good way of describing it, those different types of fear. But overall, I think to the believer, you say in the song, stare down the eyes of the grave, you'll never die. That's a promise you can bet on with your life. 
I'm just going to read that again. Stare down the eyes of the grave. You'll never die. That's a promise you can bet on with your life. And I was just thinking on behalf of any people who are listening to this who aren't believers in Jesus, I guess I'm going to ask you maybe on their behalf, maybe they don't want to ask this question, but I'm going to ask on their behalf anyways. Why are you personally, Zach Bolin, willing to bet your life on this? That's an awesome question. You know, I think that when I look at like human existence and how we can get so tied up into ourselves and the ways in which that has brought about so much destruction and so much division. I mean, you think about every war, uh, we'll just go big. Every war, it's often been, you know, a few people that have incited into others a sense of fear of like another population or group or religious group, whatever it is. Then you think about it even inside the church and you see even the way the people that are like marked as holy by God tend to do the same thing. They create their own wars. And I think I've just seen like such a way within myself where I am capable of even as a person who follows Jesus of becoming someone who is full of pride, who is full of rage, who is full of deceit, who is full of just fear as a person who can get so lost in that, but also having experienced the other side of each of one of those, each one of those things that like to be in the face of any one of those things and actually experience peace when I'm completely afraid or to experience joy when I've never been more sad or to experience relief when I just seems like I'm just in this persistent perpetual period of life where it just seems like maybe it's something that I'm doing that I just feel like, am I ever going to stop doing this? Or maybe it's something that someone else is doing. And I I've seen that time and time again in my life. And so when I, when I, so for me to be able to bet my life on that, to be able to like stare down the grave, like that image to me is like personal because it was at my dad's grave where I experienced grace in a way that I never had, where I, where I experienced like God speaking to me and showing me that I was loved and that even though I was standing at my dad's grave, that as great as my dad was, he still was just a person. He was still just a person that ultimately died, something he couldn't control, but he still, he, he, he was dead. He was gone. And, and God was just reminding me in the midst of that there, as I am like staring at this grave, staring down this grave, seeing that like, no, there's actually life that extends beyond this. There's life that my dad has that extended beyond just his own and a willingness and ability to see that. And I think just by like every year, I, I suppose like being able to reflect back and just like my faith is, it grows even more when I see it in my kids, when I see it in my spouse, when I see it in all these other areas of my life to be able to say like, I am loved and God is with me and I could be fool and I could say all these different things that have happened in my life were because I did them or because of chance or because of luck. Or when I really get down to it and I see the ways in which God has cared for me through other people, it's like, man, I would give my life to follow Jesus, especially if it meant for the opportunity for others to know God, then I think that that's like the greatest call that God would give us. And I think we see that in the early church, you know, like we don't hear about that as much, mainly probably because it's not as popular to report on the news. There are still martyrs in this world. But I think that even more than just like the physical death of our body is the daily call that Jesus gives us to die to ourselves. And I 
personally, as, as someone who has often struggled a lot with being a pessimist, struggling to see the light in a lot of things, I've found a lot of comfort in knowing that there's an opportunity for me to every day put those things to death and to carry on in life. Mm. So before we leave, we want to quickly go over what our favorite songs on the album are. So, Zach, do you have a favorite song on this album? Yes. My favorite song on the record is Illusion. Is there anything specific that that makes it that for you? I think just because it was such a defining moment in my life of realizing that, like, the ways in which I'd been suppressing grief and the freedom I felt since then, I almost saw it as, like, my whole life, it's like I saw this door and there was bright light beaming from the, like, through the edges and the corners of it. And then, you know, you you mentioned earlier, Nate, like, you get to the point in the song where it, like, completely, like, turns on, you know, at the last half of the song. To me, that's like when the, the door just like flies off its hinges and now the light that was behind it is just like, I can't even open my eyes anymore. And it feels so good. It feels like I'm being like hugged by warmth and light. And so I, I don't know, that, that song just for me personally really means a lot. Awesome. You already know mine. I already said. <laughs> so Andrew, what's your favorite? So my favorite song, I don't know if I'm German now. This is what I'm learning now. I, I just might be because it is it is out of sight. Yes. <laughs> I love it, dude. We need more German listeners. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Out of Sight is is my favorite. I don't know what it is specifically. It did remind me of uh, my one friend's band, Twice Young, the, the intro, that they do something very similar. And then another band that I love, Paper Route. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Paper Route, yeah. But there's just a couple vibes in there. I don't know. It just it stuck out to me. And like I said, it literally gets stuck in my head for days. So it's a, it's a great track. Well, that makes me really happy to know that that song, both those songs, Take Heart and Out of Sight, were some of your favorites. Mm. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Zach, again, for taking the time. I mean, we really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you, the rest of the guys. Tell them we said hello and we're thankful for them. And we wish you the best on your tour. And I'm sure we can speak on behalf of many listeners right now that we're all looking forward to seeing you guys play. And yeah, hope you guys have a fantastic time. Can't wait. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Welcome to our encore. This is where we just give one last thought about the episode, and we also let you know where you can find us. So, Nate, what's your one last thought? So, I just found out that I'm colorblind, and that news, it just came completely out of the green. So, I'm just trying to figure (laughs) out how to handle life now. No, but real talk... I've been colorblind my whole life and it came out of the womb. So (laughs) (laughs) it was more of a, (laughs) okay. Andrew. (laughs) So I I don't know. Cause I was going to go serious. Um, actually this time cause, cause it was just, okay. So I had a cool experience the other day. I was at the bank and there was an old lady there and she was just she was just struggling and she asked me if I could help check her balance. 
So I pushed her over. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's my segue? What's my segue? Um, there's got to be something. Andrew doesn't have a segue. He's not rich enough. So we're just going to go into our socials. So you can find us on Instagram. We are on Instagram at LDLpod. You can also find us on Twitter at LDLpod. That's where we put, I mean, between those two, we're fairly active. One that we are less active in is our email. We have an email because you have to set up an email to get an Instagram and a Twitter. (laughs) So we have an email as well. And you should just email it and it will sit there for days and then that's when, not true. I'm very active on our email. That's true. I'm I'm quick with my responses. I was just gonna say we've had one fan email, but we have corresponded with multiple artists over email, including and, Zach, including Zach. Yep. Also Patrick from a Beacon School. Yep. So honestly, if you need an email, buddy, like hit us up. We got you. Or we do care about our over fifty five audience as well. So feel free to email us. And so you can email us at listening at gmail.com. Also, if you like the instrumental music on this podcast, check out Josh Leininger. He makes some really cool instrumental music. And the music used in this podcast was made by Josh Leininger. So check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your music. Well, thanks for checking out this episode. We hope you liked it. If you did, you can rate our episode. You can subscribe to our podcast for lots of other great episodes and like, review, all that fun stuff. That really helps our podcast out. We don't make money from this podcast. We just do it because we like indie music. We like talking about music that kind of is less known and deserves to be more well known and so definitely help us out that way find us on our socials talk to us uh we we try to talk back and and be as active as we can so have a great rest of your day on the next podcast we will be discussing copeland's new album blushing Rachel! Rachel! Rachel!